and welcome to Mindset, an HCD vidcast, where we dive into the world of applied consumer neuroscience and market research with leading experts in the field. My name is Michelle Nigella, PhD in behavioral neuroscience and director of research and innovation at HCD. And I'm Catherine Ambrose, the manager of behavioral and marketing sciences with HCD. As your hosts, we are going to act as the buzzkills for the buzzwords, taking time to critically think about the limitations and pitfalls of emerging trends and topics within the field to help you identify what innovation has a lot of untapped potential or is too good to be true. Now, HCD is a full-service research house which provides research capabilities on consumers by looking at how they perceive, evaluate, and respond to different types of stimuli, such as looking at product experiences, communications, or just general consumer and shopper experiences. We use a combination of tools that come from psychology, physiology, neuroscience, as well as the traditional methods that people typically use to see how they experience different stimuli. That stimuli can range from the early stages of exploration all the way through the final product validation tests. This is what we refer to as applied consumer neuroscience. So stick around for more curious conversations as we chat our way through the ever-evolving space of consumer science. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mindset. We are so excited to have you here today. It is Michelle and Catherine. We're back at it, and this is a special bonus episode. We want to thank you if you attended NeuroU. Thank you so much for coming and checking it out. We had so much fun spending time with everyone and meeting everybody, and we wanted to just keep the conversation going and share a little bit more information and insights. Um, but we just wanted to come up front and just thank you. If you haven't attended NeuroU or you don't know what that is, I will link uh, our website down below where you can learn more about it and feel free to reach out to us as well if you want to learn more. But NeuroU is this thing that we do because we just find it to be really important for our clients and people that are interested in this type of behavioral sciences, applied neurosciences, market research, to be well informed about the technologies and methodologies and approaches and theories that are all out there because we're bombarded by information all of the time. And often we have to trust whoever's trying to selling, sell it to us to give us all the information but often that doesn't quite work out very well where, you know, if a widget salesman comes to you, he's going to only sell you a widget. And if you don't realize that there's another way to do it, then you might buy it hook, line and sinker. And so when we started doing NeuroU, it was about trying to find a way to inform people better so they could be better consumers of this type of work. Um, and so in that vein, um, you know, we've been doing NeuroU for years now, and, you know, I've been on my soapbox about this topic for, you know, 15 years at this point, you know, Catherine's joined me on this journey. It's a passion of ours to, you know, with this podcast to really put, you know, the validity of the science behind these things really at the forefront and try to arm everybody with some knowledge that can, can really help them to critically think about things. And if there's ever any evidence that that's happening, it definitely is this case where just in the past week, two weeks, I have received 
multiple emails from people about an article that they all came across. And that's what prompted us to want to have this conversation with all of you, because, um, you know, everybody saw this and they immediately thought of us, which we <laughs> which are, is a good thing. We're flattered. Absolutely. When you see <laughs> stuff like this, send it our way, ask us questions. We want to have a conversation about it. Um, and in fact, if you're listening and you have thoughts, you know, comment below, reach us on social media, email us. Um, we would love to continue this conversation. And also try to prove us wrong. If there's something that we yeah. say that maybe we have incorrect, or there's new evidence or new science out there, tell us, let us be yeah. better informed so we can better inform the public. That is our goals as scientists and as researchers. It's to continue to grow. We always say this science is an evolving field, but sometimes you look at these articles and you feel like you're, you actually are taking a step back 15 years back to when you first started. Um, so what are we even talking about? Yeah, because so, <laughs> what happened? Well, um, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I started getting emails about this, um, this newsletter that went out. Um, and it was from IFT. Those of you that are not in the um, food area, food and beverage area, sensory sciences area, IFT is an organization for food technology. Um, it is a global organization. They have a meeting every year that has, you know, tens of thousands of people attend, um, exhibit new food innovations, um, you know, lots of researchers, lots of food scientists, things of that nature. And, you know, we've attended it, we've participated in it, we know the people there really well. And so when the members receive this newsletter with this link to this article, <laughs> um, they were really concerned because it triggered things that we had informed them that they should be on the lookout for when there is pseudoscience or neurohype um, being communication, misinformation, yeah. all of that. Yeah. And for, for us, it was, it was pretty funny because this was a new thing that came out. Um, but it's everything old is new again. Yeah, exactly. And for people <laughs> yeah. watching on YouTube, Michelle is sharing her screen, showing the article, but for those listening on the podcast, we are looking right now at this article. That's from, like she said, IFT, the article is called better food through neuroscience. So yeah. that is the title. It's very clickbaity. It's very catchy. It draws, it drew me in. I was curious when I saw that I was like, all right, what are, what are we going to talk about? You know, yeah. it's talking about innovations. It's talking about, you know, what's on the horizon in theory. And we do have to mention that IFT is a trusted source. Um, it is predominantly made up of scientists and um, R&D scientists for the most part. Um, but there is, of course, interest in the consumer experience and, and things of that nature. Um, so when you read something that's on the IFT website or, you know, distributed as here, it's, you know, part of their journal, it says news and publications. So you would assume that it's been vetted out and that it must be true. And there's, you know, there's the branding of IFT behind it. Mm -hmm. um, so of course, when they, when my you know, the people saw this and said better food through neuroscience, they thought of us because we talk about neuroscience and the consumer experience quite a bit. Um, so I looked at the article and, and the people who send it to me were asking, what are your thoughts on this? I know, you know, you've been very critical of using EEG and food research. Um, and as I've always said, it's never the fault of the tool, right? Tools do exactly what they're supposed to do. EEG in whatever form it is, is there to measure brain activity through electrical pulses. So it, this 
this product is doing exactly what it says it's doing. A couple things struck us. Um, the first thing would be the, the picture that comes up at the very top of the article. Yeah. And so the picture that we're looking <laughs> at right now, it is a, and it's a headband basically is the best way I can describe it. Kind of like the it, tennis sweat headbands that someone might wear across their forehead. And there is nothing going across the top of the scalp. And so that in itself is already a red flag because it's suggesting that there's not that many electrodes that are being used to, to detect information from the brain, to gather information. You already know that there's going to be less data points because there's all, there's just less electrodes yeah. being shown on this image. But even if there were a hundred electrodes on that headband, there wouldn't be an appropriate locations, right? Right. Right. So some key factors for doing appropriate EEG is having a representation across the scalp. This has multiple reasons. One, because different areas of the brain reflect different processes. Mm -hmm. So you do want to be able to measure across the scalp so that you can gauge activity across the brain. Um, but also you want to have numerous electrodes across the scalp because it is a way of also eliminating noise. So if yeah. you have electrodes that are somewhat close to one another, you can start to filter out bad signal or signals that are coming from a different area. When you have just one or two electrodes going across the forehead, um, you're not getting that sort of resolution. So it's hard to say where the signal is coming from. It's hard to say how clear that signal is, how clean that signal is. You certainly can't filter anything out because you really don't have anything to filter out at that point. Exactly. And one thing I do want to bring up upfront, and we had touched on it a little bit earlier, but I want to just reinforce it here, is that a big part of you using EEG is all about the design. If you design for the use of the EEG, you can optimize the tool to really help you get really interesting insights. But there are certain things upfront that you just have to understand the EEG is not capable of doing. It won't it's not a lie detector first and foremost, like it, it can't read the mind, which is a really big misconception. It feels silly that we have to say it because that's, that seems like a ghostbusters, like, you know, supernatural thing. It's like, Oh, the crazy scientists can read minds, yeah. but it's, it's something that we have to say up front. It's when you are using an EEG set, you're able to measure things like cognitive load. You can look at certain measures of engagement, but when you're trying to understand uh, a person's, you know, levels of um, spirituality or something yeah. really liking things like that, it's not possible with just an EEG headset alone. You need to have other tools to help really make it a comprehensive study design. And that brings up an interesting point. When you're using EEG, what are some of the outputs that are typically used? And so some of the ones that Catherine brought up include cognitive load, meaning how hard do you have to think about something? How hard does your brain have to work? How much working memory is being used up to mm -hmm. perform whatever task it it's is? The mental activity. Mental activity. Another thing is... Um, valence, emotional valence, mm -hmm. um, or approach withdrawal. So like emotion in general, sometimes what people call it, but it's frontal alpha asymmetry, right? Yep. So alpha is a particular wave of several different waves that are going on in your brain um, of the type of electrical activity. And we're looking specifically at the frontal. Right. Um, now it could be that this particular EEG headset being this headband that maybe only has one or two electrodes in the front is trying to gauge 
frontal asymmetry. However, again, you're looking at activity of specifically the alpha waves filtering out the other waves, um, but then also trying to look at the differences between one side versus the other. So mm -hmm. frontal asymmetry as a ratio. Um, and if you don't have the resolution to be able to tell the difference between one side versus the other, the two hemispheres, this could be problematic. Right. Um, exactly. The same thing goes for cognitive load because you have to look at both alpha and theta, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. um, and you're looking at more global activity. So, um, you know, keeping that in mind, you're not going to get global activity from just one or two electrodes in the front. Now, another thing that's popular to use EEG for is the you know, P300, for example, and this would be looking at actual action potentials. Mm -hmm. So looking at the actual activity and recovering from that activity. Um, and you are probably, again, not going to get clear enough signal and filter out enough noise to be able to identify these sorts of things. So it's, it's very concerning. Um, you know, the way they have this image, the person's drinking a cup of coffee, <laughs> which, which in itself is concerning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also looking at a computer. And again, when you're using EEG, you want to be really specific about the stimulus that you're looking at, because you want to be able to link the actual response with whatever the stimulus was. So if you have someone doing multiple things, it's not really possible, for example, at all to find a P300. And the other thing, you know, if we're really going to analyze this photo, the person <laughs> is not, the background is blurred. However, you can tell in the background that there are other people in the room, that it the room has plants in there and that it has um, a bunch of different lights and colors. And it's not um, isolated not environment. Yeah. It's not controlled. Yeah. And that's, again, all of those factors play a part in how you respond to your environment. And so if you're really trying to get an understanding of something's effect, you want to be able to control for that. You yeah. want to be able to isolate and say with confidence that whatever you are introducing, whatever that stimuli might be is what's having that effect. Or you can say, we believe this is it because we accounted for these things. And yeah. And some people might say we're being nitpicky, right? Yeah. And I get that. You're not trying to run an academic publishable study. Potentially you're just trying to see if your food is liked, right? But then the argument is why are you spending money to use a subpar EEG headset to ask liking when right. you will get a much better measure of that if you simply ask people. Um, EEG is not, a I mean, none of the measures we talked about for EEG, none of the metrics are liking. And that is because EEG is not a good measure of liking. Um, so you have to think about your research question for deciding what's the best way of measuring this. And so, you know, this could be really nitpicky about this, but let's dive a little more into the actual article itself. I mean, we're just talking about the first image <laughs> that comes before even the words. Yeah. And one thing I do want to say is when you are looking at an article like this, one thing that you want to keep in mind as you're going through it, see if there's citations, see if there's links to other articles that maybe they're getting their information from. This article does not have any of that. If you scroll all the way down, you won't see any citations. There really are no, to, there's no links that I, I saw that I could pick out. So there's no neuroscientist being referenced either. Now there is a scientist that's being referenced later on. We will talk about yeah. that. Um, and that person is critical of the methodology, but there's a whole story there as well. There is. And so, so but there isn't a neuroscientist that's supporting um, what's being, and, and honestly, if we look at this, this is not an article or a publication. This is an advertisement. Mm -hmm. 
I, yeah. And so that's one thing you want to make note of upfront. It's very clear that this article in particular is focusing on displaying this particular EEG software, hardware, and um, trying to market it to whoever will read it uh, from yeah. the IFT audience. And so one thing that really did stick out to me is there's this quote in the beginning of the article where they say neuroscience that they can use this tool as a neuroscientific shortcut to getting authentic responses to those crucial questions. And it's much more truthful than anything consumers will tell researchers. And so that struck me because yeah. it assuming is that consumers lie. It's assuming consumers lie. It's a form of fear mongering because you're suggesting that you can't trust people. It's also gaslighting consumers. There are quite a gaslighting few researchers and researchers, right? Yeah. It's, it's really suggesting that you don't know what's best for your research unless yeah. you use this tool. And, and that's, that's wrong. the biggest problem I've actually found with neuroscience or, and let's just call this what it is, neuromarketing, which is an old term from 15 years ago, that's predominantly been shunned at this point, right? Because such bad science was done in the name of neuromarketing that um, it, it's kind of fallen to, to the side, right? Yeah. Um, and that's because people were gaslighting scientists that, you know, so, so for example, here in the first paragraph, it's stating that, you know, um, millions, tens of millions of dollars are being spent trying to sort through data that researchers are doing on food, um, sorting taste test results and focus groups. And this is making a huge, huge assumption, which I think most neuromarketing companies did, trying to make the assumption that the scientists that were running those studies were not knowledgeable. Uh, there is a huge field of research in food science and sensory science and consumer science. And this just sort of dismisses all of that. I don't even think they're aware that there is such an established science and real there's phd scientists and you not, you don't even need a phd right there right. are real scientists that have been devoted their lives to this mm -hmm. um you know with real results real critical thinking and to think that you can come in with some sort of shiny tool and just sidestep all of that and say none of it's worthwhile because it's all meaningless and you can't trust consumers is is gaslighting it is. And it's, again, the, the other piece is that you're saying that the consumer is not being truthful. And so you have to dig through the unconscious to really find the truth is just, it's ridiculous because this tool is not a lie detector. Even lie detectors are not, they're not used. good. Yeah. They're not, they're not used in the court of law for a reason. Like they, yeah, they yeah. are also inaccurate at, so the fact that a person can come out and say that you're, you only find out the truth is ridiculous. It's there's, there's so much yeah. to this. And also again, thinking just about the principles of research, you're trying to build confidence in your study. You will never have full hundred percent certainty. That's how science works is you're trying to evolve. You're trying to grow with new evidence. <coughs> and so it's always important to kind of go back to that and think, if this feels too good to be true, or it feels a little um, it magical, probably it, it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is saying that you can basically throw this headband with very few electrodes onto a person while they're eating a product. And it literally says here that the, um, the CEO of this says that EEG tests 
bespeak the individual's unfiltered response to food-related sensory stimuli, including taste, texture, smell, and even aftertaste. Now, every any sensory scientist or food scientist can tell you that those phases of the eating process are really challenging, mm-hmm. right? Because as someone's eating, they're going through all these things and to measure them means you really have to have someone sort of break in between. So if you're looking at EEG and trying to break apart the reactions to all of these different things, you have a lot going on here. Not even yeah. to mention the idea of swallowing or chewing, chewing. is going to be so much noise. If you think that the electrodes on the forehead in this case are measuring any electrical impulse, the act of blinking is enough to wipe out your data. Which is ironic you bring up because he talks about using the act of blinking as a insight, which with the headset, which is actually behavioral coding that isn't necessarily EEG. If you're blinking with an EEG headset on, that's as Michelle just said, just another artifact. And digestion in itself is, and I want Michelle to speak to it because she is much more of a sensory science expert, is really complicated. Like I, it's, it's really important to keep that in mind that everything that they're trying to address here needs to be really isolated for you to actually yeah. be able to look An into appreciation it. for all the work that has gone into understanding these different phases of eating. Um, but just the act of chewing itself is going to be literally so noisy in that data. I don't see how you can pull it out. Um, you know, we've done EEG studies with looking at people eating. And if you look at the academic research, there's plenty out there, but you have to filter out that noise, meaning that you have to have enough electrodes to really deal with that. But also you're probably going to be trying to measure, um, after the chewing, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and in most cases with the EEG studies in academic research, they, are dripping it into like dripping taste onto someone's tongue through a cannula, you know, so they're trying to minimize any movement as much as possible. So it's very shady and it's, it's insulting, I would say to the actual sensory and food scientists out there doing this work. Now, the company also says here that they apply demographic and other data um, to make sense of the results and to predict purchase behavior two things that are really concerning to me. How many people are they measuring in order to link it to demographic data? Um, Now, typically when they do EEG studies, you're limited on the number that you can do because you have to wire people up. Um, So you're not getting a gen pop, right? So you're not getting 200 people. You're probably getting like 30 people tops. And I would suggest in theirs, they would probably recommend even fewer because that's what we typically see from these types of companies. Um, But to say that then you can predict consumer purchase is really problematic. Most of the research that's been out there on this idea of predicting from neuro measurements has been very challenging. I, I want, I'm glad you're bringing that up because that was something I made note of as well is that EEG, we just said earlier, it's not a lie detector. It's also not a crystal ball. There is no way that you can look into the future and make these claims that the predictions with EEG are, are going to be fair and accurate. And again, build that confidence. It's, you want to make sure even the current literature that's out there on using predictions with EEG require a lot of evidence trying to back it up and get reinforced with more evidence as things are coming in. So for somebody to come in here and say that that's possible by just using their headset, um, is, is pretty outlandish, honestly. Yeah. And then, you know, the rest of the article continues on and it just starts 
seemingly to me to start just listing out buzzwords yes. that don't really have a good relation to neuroscience or perhaps the types of questions that you know, food scientists or sensory science are looking for, like they're just throwing in sense, uh, sustainability expectations. Something about nudge was also said at some point. Nudges, food habits, emotion, cultural experiences with food, but this just seems very challenging for a, any study to really attack all of. Um, And in addition to that, I do want to say that the EEG, um, it's, that's not a way that you're going to learn about somebody's habits. And if you're trying to get into something like behaviors or the idea of nudging someone or motivators, you have to consider their lifestyle, their circumstances to really understand the drivers of behavior. So it doesn't measure cultural experience. Like if you see somebody's (laughs) alpha wave, like waves spike because they see a piece of chocolate that doesn't tell you much because you don't know if the context and their relationship to that food. Are they allergic to the chocolate or is it their favorite treat to have at the end of the day? You don't really know because the EEG can't tell you that. There has to be other tools involved. There has to be a better design than just throwing an EEG set on it. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, so, you know, the, the, the sales pitch continues where, um, you know, they asked some people, you know, in the food industry, a food industry venture capital firm in particular, and they think it could be a good idea. Um, and, you know, the, what I, you notice is they didn't ask a neuroscientist. Um, and looking into the company, we didn't see anybody that would be a PhD level neuroscientist that could really answer these sort of questions. Um, so we have a lot of concerns when they say that they're interpreting these results for clients. You know, given everything that we've already laid out, it, it becomes really questionable, right? Yeah. And then, you know, you get to this point where they are asking for money. Um, And so this really is a sales pitch, which again, brings me back to IFT is putting this out there, Mm. Um, you know, and that almost gives it like a stamp of approval, which I find pretty concerning. Yeah, I agree. It's, you have to recognize as an organization, the power that you have that, and it's like you said, there's that stamp of approval. It's also the way that the people reading it perceive your company, they trust you. And so <laughs> by going and putting something out here where there are time and time again, different things in this article that can be easily disproven uh, is concerning. And it's, it's something that they, I don't know what their review process is like, but there has to be something in there. If you had any neuroscientists look at it, they would I don't, for lack of a better way to phrase it, question it. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it gets into the section saying tapping into brain signals, and this is where you would expect some, some actual, you know, reveal of what they're really doing. And they're listing off some of the metrics we talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, They talk about engagement, which again, you cannot do with two electrodes in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, cognitive activity, which is what we were talking about with cognitive load. That's the, and then they the even way. bring in smell and trying to say that they can measure the brain with these two electrodes saying that they can understand whether the smell reminds them of something. This is such a leap. Yeah. Like the idea, and we will actually have a whole episode on cross-modal associations coming out, but Cross-modal associations is the idea that you're saying, yeah, it's the idea that two different sensory modalities, so maybe taste and color are associated together. And 
that's just, it, it's a huge leap. Like you said, that he is mm -hmm. suggesting that the EEG can tell you about cross-modal associations when it's like you said, it's yeah. just waves that you're measuring in the brain. I mean, literally here, he's talking about the different dynamics of the experience, right? saying, you know, difficult to swallow, how pleasant or unpleasant the taste is. These are things that you would want to specifically ask someone, mm -hmm. um, because they can be really subjective. Um, so, and they're just easier to ask and yeah. they're more reliable when you ask. Whereas I am really struggling to find what is the EEG metric that gives you difficult to swallow or pleasantness. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's all over this, it's all over this article faults and flaws that they are really just pulling, um, what you basically somebody's wish list as to what they could do if they could wave their magic wand and throwing it and saying EEG is the answer. And that's mm -hmm. just all in itself, just a massive red flag telling you I should be cautious. I really have to think about this critically and decide, is this a company I want to trust and put my research and my design into? And credit where credit is due. The author did ask someone that would be skeptical. Um, and the person is a professor um, who studies the psychology of eating um, at Cornell University. Uh, and so that's Brian Wensink. And, you know, people in this area are very aware of Brian Wensink. Um, they have heard of him because he has become a little bit notorious. Um, it, he states a very valid point here. And I think that we agree with him, but it's very yes. telling that the author tapped this particular person to comment on this methodology. Um, those who are not familiar, you can Google OneSync because, and, and the food and brand lab at Cornell University, because they are sort of infamous for a few years ago, um, having to retract, I believe over 20 of their articles, their published articles due to, um, problems, ethical issues, and how they handled their data. Um, so, you know, not just how they handled it, but how it was collected. false results. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of his own work has been severely discredited. Um, and he had to step down as head of the food and brand lab due to that. So it's kind of odd that this author would tap this person to make a commentary. And it kind of shows how little the author knew about the topic um, or even just doing a quick Google search on that name would have shown that as being the first hit, to be honest. Um, so it's it's interesting and it's concerning. Mm -hmm. um, and why didn't he just ask a neuroscientist? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I want to walk away from this article because there are a lot of flaws here, but I do want to walk away saying if you look at an article like this and things do seem to be too good to be true. They probably yeah. are. And to use your better judgment. You are also a researcher by just reading this article. You in yourself have the ability to go and Incredibly. dig a little bit deeper, yeah. ask some questions and, you know, be skeptical. It's totally it's like, we want somebody to come to us and be a skeptic and be skeptical of us. Ask us, what yeah. do we know? Because we're more than happy to share with you how we got to our conclusions. If you're not finding that, then again, it's just another red flag that you have to keep in mind. And you should probably look elsewhere for, if you're trying to use a provider or trying to find a vendor. 
Yeah. So what is my take on this? Yeah. You know, I do think using two new technologies is useful and helpful and interesting and adds something to your research. It does not replace, you know, this is the, the drum we've been beating for 15 years now is that none of this replaces asking. Um, we've heard this story before with the tall tales of neuromarketing. You can look it up yourself, articles that came out, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, talking about neuromarketing and the hype surrounding it and how the science just isn't there yet. It wasn't 10 years ago. It's still problematic today. Um, you know, this is not new. It's been talked about. You can, you can look it up. Yeah. Um, you know, so just keep in mind that, you know, just it's come back and here, even the, the CEO notes that large companies in flavors, ingredients, and meat alternatives are coming to them. Yeah. And a lot of the companies now trust the technology and that is concerning. Now, certainly there's people out there doing very good work with real EEG headsets that can tell you something to add to your research. I don't think this is it. I, I think it has a lot of red flags, you know, so when, you know, everybody has come to us with this article and said, what do you think? These are our thoughts. We could go on forever, um, but we're kind of up on time now. Yeah. So we're going to try to close out on, even though we did a lot of critical thinking here. I do want to still play our game and end on a light note as light as we can. And so I'm going to ask Michelle again, those 10 words, we're going to play a free association game where I'm just going to ask her, I'm going to say a word and she's going to tell me the first thing that comes to her mind. I have 10 words up on deck. Michelle, are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. So first word, electrode. Shocking. <laughs> I like that. EEG. FMRI. Snake oil. <laughs> Research designs. Important. Eating. Also important. Food. Yum. <laughs> Supermarkets. Busy. Digestion. Growling. Artifact. Noise. And the last word, honesty. The policy. I love that. That's a great way. And that's a great way to summarize our conversation today. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it, share it with a friend. If you yourself are curious to learn more about the right way to use EEG or the questionable things that we talked about today, please contact us. And one last thing I do want to say is for those who did attend NeuroU, again, just thank you so much for attending. We had so much fun talking to you. Uh, it's an event we love to do, and it really does tie into the themes that we talked about today. So if you want to learn more about that, again, that uh, will be in the show notes, but always feel free to reach out to us. And if you didn't attend NeuroU, you can still get to the content, reach out to us, or you can visit the site and you can find links to all the information. Exactly. All right, everybody stay curious and take care. For more information or updates, follow HCD Research on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at HCD Research Inc. and at HCD Neuroscience. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to rate, review, and follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and stay tuned for more curious conversations.